One, two. How's everybody doing tonight? Y'all look like y'all are doing good tonight. Y'all look like a healthy church, like a growing church. If I were to ask you, who will deliver me from this body of death, I wonder what your reply might be to that. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got five verses that we're going to get through tonight. Short verses, short sermon. That will be will be uh, good and awake when we're doing God's business afterwards as well. Um, let's open up in prayer and then we will quickly review and uh, look at the importance of the mind in the life of a believer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for allowing us to gather together in this place as a body of believers, uh, come together um, expecting to hear from you, from your word. Um, I want to uh, say thank you, Lord, for the church that you've placed me in and my family. Um, Thank you for the blessing that they have been to us over the years. I pray that we would likewise be a blessing to them in their lives, that we would, as a church, find ourselves uh, living this life together, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but each and every day, uh, that we would be pushing forward for your purpose in this place, in this city, in this county, in this state, this nation, and ultimately in this world to the point that, uh, Lord, my prayer is that Mount Carmel would uh, one day send out to the nations that are unreached that they could hear the good news that we will be hearing more about tonight. pray that you would just bring us there um, with a heart as a community of believers that that would be the focus uh, by which we uh, look. That would be the lens through which we gaze out into this world as one that we are world changers, uh, that we have been placed here in this place, in this time in history, because you have chosen to use us uh, for your glory, and I thank you for that. Uh, As we open up tonight in your word, I pray that you would make clear our minds, uh, that your Holy Spirit would... Uh, move uh, in our hearts, um, that the truth of your word would be so clear to us and that it would continue to transform us as individuals and as a community of believers, uh, that we would be conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ and that we would, uh, as a church, be a bride worthy of the groom who comes for us. Speak through me now, Lord, that I would speak nothing of myself, but only the truth that comes from your word. It's in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. All right, so last week we covered a good deal of scripture. And the purpose of that was really to make clear, I think, what to me can be a difficult and confusing passage of text. 
particularly chapter 7, verses 14, up to probably, or maybe through and including just the end of the chapter there, if you were to stop there. I didn't want to do that because what I've the, the the purpose that I had in presenting that text in the way that I did last week, and there was a lot of stuff that we get from this text. Um, one that I would encourage you to maybe go and study on your on your own time is the idea of indwelling sin. Um, though we didn't focus primarily on it last week, because I wanted the focus to be um, on what Paul has been saying from chapter six through chapter 7, and ultimately continue saying in chapter 8, is that the life of a believer is radically different from the life of a non-believer. And that is not because of you, right? Because as we find at the end of chapter 7, if all you had was a changed and enlightened mind and you placed to the side the flesh, you would find there was, or you placed to the side the spirit, you would find that there was nothing at all good in you. But the truth of the whole picture that we get in the gospel is that God has not left you to yourself. He did not just open your mind to His truth, right? But He has placed within you the Holy Spirit to empower you in new life, right? You are new creations, New creations not given over to their own desires, but new creations that are continuing to be transformed by the life-giving Spirit of God Himself. And this is why we we kind of looked at chapter 7, maybe in a new way than you'd possibly seen it presented before. Um, And this leads us into chapter 8, which is a, to me, if I were looking at the whole of Scripture... I would look at what we find in chapter 8, the truth that we see there as the climax of the book of Romans and quite possibly all of Scripture, the hope that we find uh, in Christ, in the promises that are laid forth in the pages of Romans, specifically in the, in the chapter 8 uh, there, uh, is some of the most amazing and mind-opening and life-changing truth that we as believers um, should hold to and cling to uh, with all that we have. There are some great promises here. Tonight, we're going to look at chapter 8, verse 5 through chapter Nine, And I want to be honest with you, I find it very difficult to break up this book um, or this chapter of the book in, in any um, easy way because to me it seems to all just flow um, from one thing to the next without any, at least to me, clear places. Like, okay, you should just stop there. So um, the places that we've stopped now is I'm trying, I want tonight to bring out a very particular truth that we as believers need to hold to. Um, I want to point out that this word is not, when we run into it tonight, there's a particular word that I want us to look at. Uh, it's not going to be the first time that we've seen it in the book, and it will not be the last time that we have seen it in the book. And and this word is the mind, or it's going to say their minds, um, or mind, this idea of the mind. Now, one thing that I want to say, um, just kind of as we get into this, is this passage of text here, 
um, as I see it dealing with the mind, and, and we're going to look over into chapter 12 also and look at how chapter 12 kind of kicks off. Chapter 12 is, is where we start seeing the gospel applied practically in the life of believers and in the church. And I think it's very important to see how that chapter kicks off, especially in light of what we're going to see today. But I want to be honest with you that I think that the mind of believers in the church quite possibly is one of the most neglected areas when it comes to what we try to inspire or what we try to instill. And, and I think it's quite possibly because the mind is one of those hard things to deal with, right? Because you don't want to hear difficult things, right? A lot of times it's hard for us to stay tuned in when we start talking about things that feel like it's over our head, right? A lot of times we find it hard to focus in on those things because we think that's beyond me, right? So as teachers and preachers, oftentimes one of the easy things to to do there is to maybe step back a little bit and say, you know, I don't know that I want to challenge on this point because I'm not sure if I'm really ready to to deal with the questions that come out of that. Because to press in on your mind, right, if I want to challenge your mind, when I do that, when I open that box up, do you know what I'm going to find? Is that I, in the preparation that I put in, am going to have to put in a whole lot more. Because I don't want to be standing here and I don't want to ask you a question or I don't want to present something to you and then you kind of come back at me and maybe like, oh wow, I, I was not anticipating that at all. So I think one thing that I think just by and large, and I'm not saying Mount Carmel, I'm saying the church, kind of the westernized church, the American church in general, one area that I think that we fall short on is in engaging the mind, right? And I think this has come at a detriment to us as a church, right? It's put us in many ways on a defensive, right? And we find ourselves... It being harder to engage younger people, right? We find ourselves now where if you say something about Jesus, somebody can be like, let me Wikipedia that real quick and do some fact checking on you. Do you know what that means? That for us to present, especially if we're trying to present to where it's intellectually challenging to someone, that we must be prepared. But here's one thing that I want to tell you is that God's Word does not lay this down as optional for us. Are you following me? Right? And this is very pra- This is a very practical truth that I think we just glaze over or, or gloss over or pass by altogether. This idea that, that the mind is critical. We, we want to say things like, I'm just going to take that on faith, right? And we throw that up as though it's virtuous. As though the faith that Christ was talking about in the New Testament is some empty faith that wasn't engaged in factual evidence, right? Jesus said to believe me for the works that I have done, right? Things that you could see, right? Jesus wasn't about giving you mythical things that you would never be able to put your hands on or see. The Christian faith is based on historical events, that would be falsifiable, right? That you could show to be false if they were indeed false by exploration. 
So one thing that I want us to not do here at Mount Carmel is be the kind of people who neglect the engaging of the mind and then treat it as though it were to be something virtuous because God's Word tells us something opposite to this, right? So we need not neglect the mind when it comes to spiritual living. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, let's look first. We're going to start, and I'm just going to kind of read this in full from chapter 8, verse 1, down through chapter 9. We're going to stop for a moment and look over in chapter 12, and then we're going to come back and we're going to address the new scripture. And then we'll be done. I promise you, this is going to be a fairly uh, brief sermon tonight. So let's start chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. Notice, notice, don't let it pass you by that we don't set Christ to the side, but that all along, all these promises, all these gifts, all the hope that we have is in Christ, free in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 there, from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then last week we ended with this, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Believers, how do you walk? What, what do you walk in? I'm going to give you two options and then you answer for me. Does that work? A and B. A, you walk in the flesh. B, you walk in the Spirit. Or, let's give you a third. C, all of the above. What do you walk in? You walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? How do you walk in the Spirit? I want us to think about this. And we're, he, he kind of starts answering this question immediately. And I want us to think seriously about it. Have you ever wondered, how do I live a Christian life? Like, what is step one in this? What is step one in living a Christian life? Faith in Christ kicks us off. What was required for you to place your faith in Christ? A knowledge of what Christ has done for you? A knowledge of what sin did to us all? Right? What does all of this engage? The mind? Right? So it was not just a thing of the heart. You will not... Place your faith in something that you do not believe to be true. And you believe with what? Your mind. You believe truth told to you. Right? So the gospel is truth presented to you. And with your mind you engage that truth. And submit to that truth. And give your life to the one who created it. Right? So all of this I want you to get is engaging your mind. So in presenting the gospel, we cannot present a gospel that does not engage the mind of the hearers. Right? I want you to get this. And as believers, you cannot live a life 
for God without your mind. That should be evident to us. That should be evident to us. And we're going to look more into this. You who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is is life and peace. For the mind, have you noticed how many times the word mind or minds is mentioned in this short passage of text here? I hope that it's jumped out at you. We're going to go back through it one more time in a little bit, so be watching for it when we do. For the mind that is set on the flesh, verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you hear this? Now, one thing that I want to take and just mention to you, go back and study, take that truth, apply that back into chapter 7. If you want to try to come to an understanding of what Paul might be saying in chapter 7, take this truth with you. And what does he say about the one who is in the flesh? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But what does he say after this? Verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, I want we're going to point out a lot of stuff, but I want you, before we go back and look at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I want you to take note of who the belonging is to there in the latter part of that verse. Does God belong to you or do you belong to God? Believer, you belong to Him. And because you belong to Him, He gives you something. And that is life-altering. That is life-changing. Now, we have quite a bit of text to get through before we start examining in detail chapter 12, right? But I want us to peek ahead, right? I want us to peek ahead. So go ahead and turn to chapter 12. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verse 2 here. Go ahead and get there. I'll give you a second to get there. I want to, I want to mention this in, in the kind of context of the discussion of the mind tonight. And then kind of give you something to look forward to. When we get to chapter 12, chapter 12 is where all of this gospel truth that we have been digging through and we'll continue digging through for a couple more chapters, when the rubber meets the road, chapter 12. How do you, as believers, live this gospel life, right? How do you live out? How does this play out in your lives as believers, right? This is what we have to look forward to, right? Chapter 12, where, where we're going to dig into detail in almost every aspect of your life. We're going to see how this is going to be applied to it, right? The first thing that we're going to look at when we get to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, what do you think it addresses? Let's look. 
chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Friends, worship is life. Worship is life. And this is why I like to flip the service upside down. A lot of times we'll do, we'll do singing first and then we'll do the preaching last. I like to do it last because you should be warming up for going out the doors. Your entire life is worship to the God whom you serve. Right? It's not just something that you do here. Your entire life is worship to God. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. Right? Let's look at that again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How are you transformed? How are you not conformed? How do you not live lives that you used to live? How do you not look like you used to look? But how do you look like something new altogether? How does this transformation take place? Where does this transformation take place? But... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When we get to chapter 12, and we start applying the gospel to our lives, how that looks day by day, moment by moment, second by second, do you know the first thing that we are going to address with how the gospel plays out in our lives? It's the one thing that we tend to neglect the most. It's the mind. It is the mind. Do you want to live a better life? Do you want to feel more free? Do you want to feel more like chapter 8 Christian than what you've been thinking you were as a chapter 7 towards the end kind of Christian? Right? How does that happen? Will it happen if you don't think that it will happen? Now I believe in a big old God, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of side note that and say, yeah, it will. Because God will be sovereign. And He will send preachers to wake you up from your slumber so that you realize who you are and what He's doing and what He has planned for you and what He will do for those who are His. So you will be transformed. And it will take place by the transforming and the renewing of your mind. And how does that take place? By setting aside false ideas, replacing them with true ones. Who is the one true God? Who is the God of truth? In who does all truth lie? In God Himself. As a believer. And this is, man, I'm not telling you pick this thing up and read it to waste time. When I tell you the importance of picking this book up, spending time in it, in personal study, in study together as believers, can I tell you, that your time is not wasted when you are in, in the presence of other believers and study here at this church. Can I tell you that that's not a waste of your time and effort? Can I tell you that it may very well be possible that some of you skipping out could help others in their walk? How can you live practically? Live together. Live together. 
let the experiences that God has transformed in you bleed over into others. Be one who would help others transform their minds. Be one. Do not think that you do not know enough. Do not think that you are not smart enough. That you're not read enough. If you're not read, pick it up. If you're not read, come to class. If you want to learn how, come. Come, please. Do not neglect this. Do not neglect it here. Do not neglect it when you are at home. Do not neglect it when you are with your family, with your children. This book will transform who you are. Do you get that? Do you understand that? The most practical truth that I can give you today, the most practical truth that will transform your life and the life of every person that you come in contact with is that you spend more time with Him in this book. The most important truth that I could ever put out before you is a simple one. Read. Shall I say it again? Read. Do you struggle? Huh? Anybody struggle with sin? Anybody? Anybody? Can I tell you Read. Is that is that deep enough? Right? Read God's word. It's not you think, well that could that just says just sounds too easy. Right? I can see you. That just sounds too easy. I've read that. I've read that. I've picked it up. Here and again, God's Word tells us that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I'm here to tell you that probably each and every one of you either spend more time on TV, more time on your phone, more time on Facebook, more time on whatever else than you do God's Word. So don't tell me that you've read it enough. Don't tell me, because I ain't hearing it. I'm not. Transform your mind by spending time in God's Word. Believer, I could stand here for an hour or two minutes and give you the same truth. Spend time in God's Word. Transform your mind. Fellowship with God. In His Word. Fellowship with other believers in His Word. Spend time in God's Word. The renewing of your mind. It will transform who you are. Chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, where do they set their minds? On fleshly things. Where do you set your mind? Where do you set your mind? 
I want you to, I want you to, to be real with yourself. Where do you set your mind? Is it on heavenly things? Really? Is it on heavenly things? Is it on godly things? Or do you find yourself consumed by worldly things? How do you live? This will be a tale to who you are. How do you live? Be honest with yourself when you examine your life. How do you live? Do you live according to the flesh? You'll know it because your mind will be set on it. It is what will consume your every thought, your every goal, your every purpose in this life. And I want to tell you, we spent much time in the book of Ecclesiastes to make the giving up of the flesh that much easier. Because the truth that God's Word tells us, you know what was going on then? Renewing of the mind. Do you get that? Do you get that? Do you get that that's what we were doing that whole time? It might have felt like I was just dogging you like crazy, but do you know that that has a renewing effect on you? Do you know that that's what takes place when we dig into that? Go read Ecclesiastes for yourself. Do you know why I preached it to you? Because I read it, and I was like, that hurts a lot. Vanity of vanities rings in my ear to this day because I do not want my life to be vain and pointless. And if my eyes are set under the sun, do you know what it will be? Vain and pointless. Do you know That every goal, every treasure, every medal, every trophy under the sun will be vain and pointless if not for His purposes and His glory. Do you know this? Where is your mind fixed? If you are in the flesh, do you know where it will be set? It will be set on the flesh. We need to be honest with who we are when we come to these passages of text. Because here's what I want to tell you. That as believers, you will be sanctified. You will be sanctified. Because it is God who sanctifies you. But if you find yourself living a life that looks nothing like a life being sanctified, you are not His. And I don't care how many times you've come to church. If you are not being sanctified, the whole thing ain't broken. You just don't have it yet. Do you hear me in that? Do you hear me? The gospel ain't broken. Maybe it's trying to break through to you today. You will be transformed because it's God who does the transforming. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. Again, I want to ask you the question. As an individual and as a church body, where are our minds set? What are our goals? Right? Is our highest goal As an individual, God's glory, or more money, or bigger cars, or bigger houses, or bigger bank accounts. Is our goal as a community of believers to merely keep the lights on? 
Is that our goal? Or do we have bigger, higher, more lofty dreams than these? Ones that will not end when the sun sets for the last time in this life. Huh? What about it? What about it? Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Do you know? Right? And know this is truth. I want you to know this as truth. That if your mind is fixed forever on the flesh. Right? I'm not talking about you struggle. But I'm talking about you honestly look at yourself and your concerns for this life are only fleshly. The end of that is death. The end of that is death. But, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Does that seem to speak to the mind that you have? I want us to be real in this, right? I want us to be real in this. Does the mind that you have, is it set on things that lead you to peace? Or do you find yourself constantly in unrest? Where are you in that? Where are you? Is your mind at peace? Do you find life in the place where your mind is set? Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Again, all of these are clear indicators of who we are and where we are. Do you Follow me there. Follow me there. That if we look at these, these are indicators of the condition for which we are standing in. Right? Do you get that? Church, follow me here. Do you get that? That you can look at God's Word and see where you stand. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. To God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I'm going to read it again. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is not possible to live in the flesh and be pleasing to God. But, but, chapter... Chapter 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. This is speaking to you, believers. You are not in the flesh. If you were a believer, you are not in the flesh. Though you may wage war daily, if you are a believer, you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that is a giant if. Friends, you as a believer, we're going we're gonna to show this to be true right here. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in you at this moment, you are not His. Do you hear me in this? That the Holy Spirit is given to those who are His, who belong to Him. The Holy Spirit is the indicator for you of who you are. And the Holy Spirit does the work. This is why I say that if you can live an entire life and no fruit be born out in your life, then you are clearly not His. There's not a question to that. There's not a, well, you just, you just didn't work enough. Right? If you were His, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, the Spirit does the work. Right? So if you, if we're here, and you are wondering if you are His, the question is, do you have the Spirit of God in you? If you do not, repent. Repent and believe. If you repent and believe, you are His. And if you are His, He gives to you the Spirit. And He gives to you a Spirit that does not make you slaves. He gives you a spirit of sonship. You are His. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the truth of Your Word, Lord. Um, this sermon feels very, very much like... Um, there may be those here that are wondering who they are or where they stand. Um, Lord, I, I, it is not in any way my intention to um, call someone to be. Could, let's, let's, Sandra, if we could, let's, let's just um, let's hold off on the music. It is in absolutely no way my desire that your heart be convinced. By anything other than Him. And I will not beg you to the one that we should be begging to be with. If the Holy Spirit is not in you, then you are not His. Never were His. If God convicts your heart, you repent and you believe. You repent and you believe. And believers, you continue in repentance until the day you see Him face to face. Know this, that if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you will overcome. Know that if He dwells in you, you will overcome. No question about it. You are His. And He has sealed you with the power of His Holy Spirit. And He will complete the work that He has started. He is faithful. And He cannot fail in His promises. Cannot fail. But if you do not have the Holy Spirit, 
It's not a matter of if you've said a hundred thousand prayers. It don't matter how many times you done said, Jesus, come into my heart. Because He says, repent. Today, repent. Believe. Repent. Believe. Follow Him. It's in Christ's name.